Hey there, folks, and welcome to yet another week of Scooby Dudes. We are those dudes. Yes, we are those dudes, and uh, uh, we're doing a podcast about our favorite meddling kids. Yeah, our favorite meddling kids and their dumb dog, too, named Scooby-Doo. I'm Luke. And I am Evan. We're those Scooby Dudes we mentioned. It, it, this is kind of a PSA we're here to give you. We're telling you to be cautious, to beware, to be careful. Be attentive. Yeah, just, just kind of like be aware of your surroundings. Uh, because, yes, you never know when there might be a beast uh, from below. Yeah, and the, yeah, that beast. And it's not coming from above. Don't keep your eyes on the sky. There's no beasts up there. Down below, there'd be beasts. Or at, le- or at least one. Yeah, there, there might be one n- beast. But that beast may reproduce and may have, like, uh, a thousand different, like, beast eggs in Madison Square Garden that are going to hatch and then uh, take over New York City. <laughs> We're going to need Jean Renault to help us out with this one. I'm Matthew Broderick. I'm... Oh, I'm, uh... Shoot, what's his name? He voices Apu. Oh, dang. <laughs> I'm that guy who voices <laughs> Apu. <laughs> We're your, uh... uh we're... Gino dudes, Gino dudes. Who, for those who put no stock in the mm-hmm. 1999 American remake of Godzilla, in name only, indeed. Um, we're getting a little bit off track. We need to talk to you guys about Beware the Beast from Below, the first episode of Scooby Doo! Exclamation point Mystery Incorporated. We really enjoyed this episode. We had a great time talking about it. Hopefully, you have a great time listening to us talk about it. I've rarely recommended an episode as hard as I'm about to recommend this one. You should definitely go out and watch this episode for yourself. It's a delight. It's going to be a delight listening to us talk about it. So really just enjoy. And while Luke recommends this episode very hard, I will recommend it softly. Softly and gently, but that's... In a way that is comfortable to everyone involved. It's still a a firm recommendation. Evan is persistent. Because that's the kind of host that I am. I'm considerate. I'm a considerate host. Well, let's uh, let's get into this now that I've seeded the ground. <laughs> you, yeah, you sure filled that ground with your seed, all right. Really, really t- <laughs> and just as I have put this seed into the ground, so I will place my seed in you. Scooby Dudes, enjoy the seed. <laughs> Scooby Dudes, enjoy the seed. Cover your holes. Boom. Two dudes talking about Scooby-Doo. Two dudes just like you. Unless you're a lady, mm, this show is for ladies too. If you're LGBTQ, we are your Scooby-Doos. Okay, so there have been at least two other instances, maybe three, three other instances, and I believe it was uh, The 13 hmm. Ghosts of Scooby-Doo, a pup named Scooby-Doo and Shaggy and Scooby-Doo get a clue in which my initial reaction and one that stayed almost throughout was that I hate this show. It's unfortunate that there are any Scooby-Doo episodes that we react negatively to, but it happens. When you care about something, you you gauge its quality and so you react negatively to some stuff. Yeah, I feel you, dude. Yeah, you, you have high expectations. And let me just say that for this show... Uh, which is Scooby-Doo, exclamation point, Mystery Incorporated. I have never been so excited to record an episode of this podcast. M- me neither. This, is, this was far and away the most, one of the most impressive episodes I've ever watched of any cartoon. It was just such an unexpected... I didn't have high expectations going into this, but still the bar to wow me was not lowered. And this wowed me. And let me just say, and this is this is unprecedented and will never happen again. The only other time it has ever happened was with the first episode. And do you know what that is? What? 
something that this this particular episode will do that no other episode save for episode one has done i i genuinely don't know what you're hitting towards so episode one of this podcast we did um scooby-doo where are you which was the first iteration of scooby-doo yeah what a night for a night season one episode one this is season one episode one of scooby-doo mystery incorporated which is the 11th incarnation and this is the 11th episode of our podcast oh (laughs) so we uh we hit the episode number no excuse me we hit the incarnation number along with the episode number for one in 11 and this will literally never happen again but yeah, that was certainly unplanned. It is it is quite uh I don't know, it's kinda nice. I, I, I'm glad that it worked out this way. I I too am just thrilled and tickled by the the numbers symmetry here. This episode is just revelations upon revelations. We can pour into it from a, a kind of a a Jewish religious, scriptural, and analytical perspective. Oh, like from a numerological perspective? Numerological perspective, yeah. Personally, I did uh, I did kind of an early Christian reading of it. Yeah, kind of pre-Reformation. That was my, my reading, and it very much held up. Uh, the atheist the atheist perspective? Well, I'm done with that bit. So getting back into the episode, <laughs> um, Mystery Incorporated, it's episode one. Uh, yeah, so just reading off of wikipedia this show is supposed to be a return to the early days of scoob and the gang uh where they're still solving mysteries but all in their hometown uh which we find out is called crystal cove um and it Mm. says here that i mean it it has a redesign just like the past uh handful of of reboots or incarnations um but this has two notable differences that wikipedia points out uh in which that i think we both noticed immediately one of which is that it features an ongoing story arc full of dark plot elements, which I, I, I guess this show only very marginally touches on. But then also, and I know that you and I are very invested in this, mm. ongoing relationship drama between the characters. That was so thrilling. I, I don't think I'm the only fan who is so pleased to see this. I'm uh, actually acting on... Uh, not, not ju- uh, I'm, I can't even... It's so hard to dive in a little bit. I just want to get neck deep. <laughs> okay, neck deep. Sure. Um, yeah, so so yeah, season one, episode one. Uh, this episode is called uh, Beware the Beast from Below. And let's just, I say, let's just hop right into it. This is uh, the show, uh, 2000, I guess just a few final things. 2006 is not when it premiered. This premiered 2010. 2010 indeed. Uh, and also is the first show to feature Matthew Lillard as uh, as the voice of Shaggy. Oh, I didn't know that. Matthew Lillard, Shaggy after Casey Kasem. Uh, the torch has been passed with this episode, and he does a great job. I think he's he is Shaggy from the first uh, appearance. As some people might know, uh, Matthew Lillard also acted as the live-action Shaggy Rogers in, uh, in the films that came out, 2002 and 2006, respectively. He's a... Uh... A double whammy. He he can act as Shaggy, live action, and in the voice. And like you said, let's just dive right in. So we open on the gang, our core gang: Fred, Shaggy, Daphne, Velma, Scooby, congratulating themselves. They've just completed another successful mystery. Uh, let's celebrate, they say, uh, and they turn only to have what look to be uh, jail cell doors slam in on them yeah they've just been locked in jail the the sheriff walks up and he chastises them this is unprecedented uh and is there do uh, do you have any comments about about the sheriff well let's i overarching statement so you guys know where i'm coming from with cartoons and media in general there is one thing that 
it gets an auto thumbs up from me in any episode of anything ever, any series, something that just automatically endears me to uh, to a show. And it, before I go into mine, I'm curious, Evan, do you have something like that? Something that automatically, when you see it in anything, you love it. For some people, it's time travel. Um, for me, I'll tell you my thing in a second. Well, what's yours? I'm not. I'm not sure if I have one. I I do think I do think that like diverse casting does tend to like really like hook me, because it. It's it's rare. I feel like it's a rarity. It's not it's not often uh, it's not often done. That's pretty fair. Mine is mine is similar, very similar. I would say it's Patrick Warburton. Anything that Patrick Warburton is in, I'm automatically a fan of. And uh, to those of you who are so unfortunate that you don't know who Patrick Warburton is, he is the new Lemony Snicket in a series of unfortunate events. He's been Joe Swanson in Family Guy, the fellow in a wheelchair for a long time. I really loved him in Hoodwinked as the Wolf. He's uh, Kronk in The Emperor's New Groove. That's probably where most people know him from. Yes, uh, ex- exactly. I would say that Kronk is sort of like his uh, his number one role in most people's minds. And and Kronk's dark and gritty reboot uh, doppelganger, Brock Sampson from Venture Bros, as well. All Patrick Warburton. And also uh, Putty, Putty from Seinfeld. Putty from Seinfeld, that's right, where we, uh, where we saw him early on. But Patrick Warburton is one of my favorite actors. One of my favorite, no, no question, he is my favorite voice actor. Which is, which is all to say, this is a really interesting diversion, since Patrick Warburton does not voice anyone on this show. Yeah, so it's <laughs> that's the one failing of this episode is that Patrick Warburton is not in it. Getting back to the episode, the gang is in jail. The sheriff walks up. He's, uh, he's voiced by Don Knotts. <laughs> no, the pat, the the sheriff is voiced by Patrick Warburton, and hey, yeah. I'm Patrick Warburton. I'm the sheriff in this town. The poison for Cusco. Cusco's Man, you, poison. You really did I, practice leading I, up to this, didn't you? I declined to comment, sir. You practiced a lot. I cannot answer that question in an open session. I just need our listeners to know that we are recording at, uh, at 10 p.m. on a Saturday instead of 10 a.m. as is typical. And because I like to we think, started at 10 a.m. Uh, it's just 12 hours, 12 hours of Luke really just refining and polishing his Patrick Warburton impression. I will not lie that when we were going to record at our ordinary time at 10 a.m., part of what motivated me to say, hey, can we push out the episode at 10 p.m., was wanting to walk around the neighborhood and practice a little Patty Warbucks. Patty Warbucks? Side story. That's his his Twitter uh, handle, right? Yeah, a story for the audience. One of the saddest moments in my life to date was when I was thinking of Annie, the musical, and Daddy Warbucks in Annie, and I made the connection of Patty Warbucks, Patrick Warburton, and I thought, if I text this to Patrick Warburton, he has to respond. It's too clever not to, and it's his name. It's so personal, and that is his Twitter handle. He had seen I, someone had I already really indicated like it to him. the scenario that you painted, if I text Patrick Warburton, like you have <laughs> oh, his yeah. personal cell phone <laughs> just on file, and you've been waiting for the perfect message to send him. You can't just call Patrick Warburton out of the blue, man. And once you found out if that he, that was his Twitter handle, you're like, ah, oh, back to the drawing board. Not, not only if you Google Patrick Warburton will his number come up, if you Google Patrick, the first search result is his phone number. <laughs> Patrick Warburton is in this episode as the sheriff. Again, it's a delight. It's a big name to pull and to introduce as the first non-gang character. Uh, he's none too pleased with Mr. Incorporated, and the reason for that is because, uh, just like Dredd, he is the law. He is the one who puts the criminals away. He solves the crimes. He, uh, 
he doesn't like that the gang is is meddling and getting into business that they shouldn't. Yeah, he, as you say, he he is the authority. He points to the badge on his chest and he says, "You see this badge? You know why it's here." Uh, and Velma says, um, "It came with the shirt, which is uh, yeah." We're gonna touch on sort of the way that they've decided to approach these characters, and what they've done with Velma is she's still very smart. But she's also extremely sassy. Very sassy. She's very, uh, she's snarky teened up. And it's it's funny because just last episode in, um, what was it called? Jeepers, It's the Creeper. You you had a comment about, about Velma kind of like, uh, what is it, cracking wise. Yeah, I, th- I think the last episode, her smarts were um, replaced with sass. Here, they're supplemented. And and I I mean it does kind of make sense that like people people who are a little bit more intelligent than others around them tend to be more annoyed more quickly because they are they're making connections faster. Yeah. And that is sort of seems to be where Velma is coming from. Is she and, she has this attitude and it's it's I quite like it. <laughs> You're into that. Yeah. But Velma is very snarky. And and there are there are light character design changes uh, across the board and I think it's funny that in um Oh shoot! What's is it? What's new Scooby Doo? In yeah, it's what's new Scooby Doo. A Scooby Doo Halloween. When we discussed that episode, you had made a comment about Velma's redesign, and you had called her a uh, dang cute. It, it comes to mind. Uh, and and the reason it came to my mind when watching this episode is because this Velma way cuter. Really, I I thought Velma. Everyone has a a nice redesign. I think it does them all justice. Velma, I think, looks cute. Uh, she has these two weird bows on the side of her head, like weirdly small, identical bows on either side of her head that for some reason throw me. But she is, uh, she is cute, and her cuteness plays a role. I, I, there's, there's a sort of... What's the cartoon I was, I was likening it to? It's an anime-esque sort of redesign for everyone. Just slightly. I, I'm not... Every, there's just a lot... There are a lot more angles. Um, and everything is more angular and geometric looking. Um, it's not as smooth, fuzzy lined, and uh, and Hanna Barbera coloring. Uh, Colored. So, basically, what happens is uh, the the sheriff Patrick Warburton he says, uh, he, "I've caught all of your parents. They're all on speed dial now. Uh, you you guys are gonna be in trouble, especially Fred, because your father is the mayor." And then right into the right into the opening credits. Um, which very helpfully provide a little bit of an introduction to every single character. Yeah, it's, it's part of what I really loved about this uh, first episode, is that it really sh- shows something about each individual character, and as we're going to get into, about the relationships between each of them. And, uh, and the intro is kind of a synth-pop, uh, quick drumbeat song, or, uh, or tune with no lyrics. And, and it's a fun little sort of thing where you see each of them enact like a short action and, or a short scene and their, and their name shows up on the screen. So you have that introduction to them. And we find out that, uh, that Fred is good at traps. Yep, he presses uh, a button and traps fall from the sky. Uh, that Daphne likes Fred, which we'll, we'll touch on a little bit more. It seems a little, not entirely one-dimensional, but not the, it's, the best take right out, right out the gate. It's a bit disappointing, and I'm just going to interject here to say that's one of our favorite things about Be Cool Scooby-Doo when we do record that, is that they give Daphne more of a character, more interesting things about her, her interests that she has besides Fred, which is interesting in this episode, but they don't really show too much else about her in her intro sequence. 
Uh, we we see that Velma is smart. She does, I don't know, like a calculator, some kind of gadget. Uh, like a computer system that she's uh, using. And then uh, Shaggy eats a number of burgers, and then Scooby also eats a number of burgers. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> they they could have had their sequence together, Scooby and Shaggy, but they, they're one after another, just both eating burgers. It's a very nicely animated uh, uh, opening sequence where it's the mystery machine driving up in a uh, kind of a spooky mist of uh, spooky couple of papers fly out behind and we see Scooby with his head outside of the window that's a really nice turn uh, and and then Smooth. when we open back onto it we see that Velma is conducting uh, the Crystal Cove haunted tour to, to uh, a gaggle of tourists she is indeed and uh a couple of the tours seemed like they were worth noting from the start to me. How about you? Uh, there was one guy, and I know you're going to name him, um, or, or his likeness, and which I did not know right off the bat. But I, he certainly did stand out to me, yeah. I thought he was Peter Lorre, who we've referenced previously in this podcast, but I looked it up and Don Knotts was actually the person who's Andy Griffith's sidekick. Right. His deputy. Um, it's, a, it's a Don Knotts lookalike. Uh, and could you describe Don Knotts for our listeners? Don Knotts has big buggy eyes. He was... Before we had Steve Buscemi, we had Don Knotts. Uh, and I guess before Don Knotts, we had Peter Lore. Peter Lorre. Who um, we, uh, who's who we the, do make reference to in um, The Scarab Lives. That we do. And as you say, Velma is giving a, a tour. a uh, The Crystal Cove Haunted Tour. What's it called again? The Crystal Cove Haunted Tour. With your ghoulish guide Velma, and and again she she is uh, she's delivering more of her trademark sass. She talks about how uh, certain groups have have straight up disappeared. Uh, one of the tourists asks her what happened to them, and she then quips back in a deadpan monotone, "What part of the word mystery don't you understand?" <laughs> and they're uh, they're kind of disturbing dispe- disappearances too. Uh, she mentions how in 1630, some conquistadors disappeared from this same place. 1765, a town of missionaries completely disappear. She throws in that a hundred years later, the Darrow family found gold, and of course named the town Crystal Cove, and then disappeared. There are, she throws in, there's like five jokes in quick succession. We also see a Crystal Cove sign in the background underneath it. The most hauntedest town in America. <laughs> the word hauntedest is at least in there. Then we come onto a scene that is a treasure trove of references and it's sort of mm. how do you describe it it's there are there are a number of display cases on several rows uh holding these costumes all of which are ghosts and ghouls all of which are or should be familiar to fans of uh scooby-doo where are you yeah absolutely and they're named each of them has a name above the uh, suit it's basically if mystery inc had a bat cave this is where they would put all their trophies Batcave, that that is perfect. Um, and Velma actually names them. She she says a uh, minor forty er and uh, uh, what's another one? She she talks about and who could forget about space kook? With, yeah, like like the <laughs> something so, self styled of space kook. Who uh, we've not done space kook yet. We've not done minor forty nine. We have not done a lot of these. Um, I guess the the diving suit ghost. Um, if you look up on the second row though you do see one of the specters oh uh, from uh a night of fright is no delight man and also here's something that's really interesting uh in which like the scooby-doo wiki needs to update is if you also look on the second row you do see the luna ghost on display oh man you really zoomed in there good on you uh and the luna ghost 
uh, is the ghost that appears at the very beginning of the 2002 Scooby-Doo film. Uh, and nowhere else oh my except, except for this uh, scene. That is... Which is... Which is are really great. I really like that. That's an incredible poll because this does come after the Scooby-Doo movie. Uh, so what happens next is this really great succession where we we pan through each of uh, each of the gang members. So Velma is going through naming each of these uh, monsters that have been caught, and then she starts debunking each of them. These tourists are clearly like thrilled by how scary they are, and Velma's saying, "Yeah, but they were all fakes. They're uh, they're none of them real mysteries." And this one over here, that was just a guy dressed up in a suit. And Velma's parents quickly jump in and kind of muffle her and say, Oh, that, why, why doesn't everybody go to the gift shop real quick? But uh, we were introduced very, very quickly to Velma's parents. And I think that's where you were going. Yeah, who I will note look very much like Velma. Yeah, they have her hair color, her hairstyle, her height, and uh, her slightly stocky build. And, and her glasses. They, they're kind of like, if these two individuals made another individual who looks like them is, is sort yeah. of the, the situation. And and the reason the parents are jumping in and silencing their daughter is because their business is built on the idea that this, this town is haunted and that there are real ghosts here. So why is she trying to sabotage their business? And Velma responds, reboot parentals. I was just being honest. And I really liked reboot parentals. I'm going to have to find an opportunity to use that with my own parents. Her uh, dad responds, and I have a quote, unless you mm-hmm. do. Yeah, no, go for it, go for it. Uh, her dad responds, Those were isolated incidents in Crystal Cove's otherwise unblemished supernatural past of hauntings and paranormal happenings. The parents are clearly invested in the town being thought of as paranormal. And uh, and Velma's just not into that. And, and, and it makes sense, Yeah. right? It's like, clearly, tourism is what runs the economy in, in, this, in this town of Crystal Cove. And and to have all of these ghosts and hauntings debunked, uh, I guess I guess harms everyone. Everyone's yeah, I mean normally tour, tour, tourist attractions being debunked doesn't make them any less of uh, probably any less frequented as roadside attractions. But this is uh, Velma's parents' business, the Dinkley business, and so they're rightfully a little bit incensed. And what's what follows is a series of cut twos, uh, in the vein of a same conversation that people probably I think of a. A very Archer move. I, I haven't seen any Archer, but uh, this this is common. But it's executed really, really well here. Velma is telling her parents that like your generation, you know, that was like your bag. But but my generation, we're only concerned with one thing. We only have one thing on our minds. Cue Fred saying, uh, m- "Mysteries and and building traps." Is that it? Yeah. Fred's talking to his... Cut to Fred talking to his dad. Solving mysteries and building traps. And Fred's dad says, that's two things, son. I I love this exchange. Again, we already know from the intro that Fred's deal is traps. Um, but, but now it's it's not cool anymore. Now we realize he's not... It's it's really, really hammered home here. Like, you, you do not leave this exchange not knowing what Fred's deal is. Because... Um, Fred tells his dad that, hey, I, I submitted a trap to a science fair. It did not do well because it was a trap and had nothing to do with science. And then secondly, his dad says, you could make, uh, you, one day you're going to make a mistake you're going to regret. And Fred, with a tinge of panic to his voice, says, like making a bad trap? Fred has a, a one trap mind. His dad is clearly trying to introduce another track onto that. He says, life isn't all about traps. It's also about, cut to Scooby and Shaggy. 
Uh, and uh, they just list off food. I think they it's it's pancakes and sausages. They say it's also about pancakes and bacon and sausages and orange juice. And they're eating pancakes with sausages and anchovies and what we thought was syrup until they mentioned and orange they are juice. just they're shoveling food into their mouths. Um, Mr. and Mrs. Rogers are there, and I I really liked Mr. and Mrs. Rogers' uh, character designs because they did not look uh, like somebody they, they did not look like like um like velma's parents or like daphne's parents in which they sort of used the child as the base and then like extrapolated from there kind of like yeah you copy paste the child twice and then modify them a little bit here they're each different individuals and you can see a bit of shaggy in each of them you can see how they combine to form shaggy yeah uh mrs rogers is is the taller one that's where her son gets gets his height she's blonde she also unfortunately has his chin <laughs> yes she she does <laughs> uh mr rogers is shorter he's much stockier he's balding but he has the brown hair which is where shaggy and shaggy's that. nose very much so and you can and shaggy's hair is kind of part way in between they, they do their diligence i i quite like that that um did you wanna did you want to uh to say anything about the voice actor for Shaggy's dad. The voice actor for Shaggy's dad. For those of you who were upset to hear about Matthew Lillard taking over for Shaggy, there's a good reason to to maybe be concerned about that. And that's that Casey Kasem, the original Shaggy, did such an amazing job. He built that character, really. He, he calcified him in all of our minds. And here, the torch is passed to Shaggy from Shaggy. Casey Kasem voices Shaggy Rogers' dad. Uh, and from what I could see, apparently Casey Kasem had retired from voice acting, but this appears to be sort of like, I don't know, just like a gig that he did very, very, very part-time. Like, this was not like a full-time thing for him, but he kind of, I guess he stepped in to do like a little bit of like post-retirement work. To me, this is a big deal. This means that Shaggy, or Matthew Lillard, has been anointed as Shaggy. Like, there, it's undebatable at this point. And it... I guess kind of somberly makes me think towards a day where Matthew Lillard will have to do the same, but let's just not think about that until episode 2000. We'll get back to you. Anyways, Shaggy and Scooby are gorging themselves on all of this food as Shaggy's parents look on in mild horror. They're not, they don't like seeing their son like this. He's very bestial. <laughs> Shaggy's dad says, hey, Shaggy, hey, Shaggy, son, son, hey, we're not saying you need to find new friends. But his mom cuts in. You need to find new friends. We that's are saying you need to find new friends. That's exactly what we're saying. Get new friends, dump the old ones. And Shaggy says, as Shaggy responds to his parents, Hey, you guys have nothing to worry about, man. And I love that he respond, He refers to his parents as you guys and then man. Shaggy <laughs> has a very casual relationship with his parents. He says, just give them a chance and you'll see. <clears throat> So uh, we talked about how the intro kind of gave you like a brief outline of each of the characters. Um, and for better or for worse, that's what this scene to scene sort of transition is doing. Because we know that, uh, that Fred likes traps, his deal was traps, like Shaggy likes to eat, him and Scooby are just eating. Uh, and then we go to Daphne. Um, and once again, for better or for worse, her whole thing is that she likes Fred. Um, and she is uh, talking to her parents um, who just look like very stylish individuals. They're both wearing a lot of like purples and pinks. Her dad looks kind of like a, uh, what's his name? What's Draco Malfoy's dad? Is it <laughs> Lucius Malfoy? Lucius. He looks like Lucius Malfoy. Uh, he does. He looks like both... an evil dad. 
Yeah. Um, and she's just kind of like talking about how uh, they they said they're a little concerned about that Fred boy. And she's talking about how he's one of those geniuses that nobody understands until until he's dead. That was my or until they're dead. That was like my favorite line in the episode until her next line in which she says he sees things different and he wants to catch those different things in his traps. <laughs> uh, we also find out that um, that Daphne has four sisters who her parents want her to be more like uh, because they have rich careers. Those sisters are Daisy, Don, Dorothy, and Delilah. And I believe that they're a doctor, some form of pilot or flight attendant, a race car driver, and some form of military officer. Military officer. The second one was a model. Oh, was that... Was um, that... I, I only know from a reference. Okay, so yeah, that's yeah. the one that I thought might have been like flight attendant or pilot. They all look... There was an ascot there, which could have meant any of those things. Yeah, they all look a or lot like, a like, um, like Daphne, to the point that they could kind of be like the nurse joys of this world. That's a Pokemon reference. That's, that's a good reference. Now we're in the sewers beneath Crystal Cove. We cut to the sewers of Crystal Cove. Uh, and we're coming on, up on my favorite line in the entire episode. So there, there's a foreman, there are these two, uh, I guess, service workers for the city. Um, what happens is that a wall collapses. <laughs> and he, he, the supervisor one who, who is the one who leans back on the wall and collapses it, he instantly asks his two uh, underlings, like, who, who busted down this wall? Um he says unless as, as to what the caves might be unless and one of one of these workers says we've busted into another dimension <laughs> foreman says no it's just that like one of those old caves that underlie the whole town and for a second i was so psyched like really another dimension are we going that deep right now yeah it was very like stranger things-esque that was that sort of was like the feel behind it, but I, he the guy said it so quickly it slayed me the first time I watched this. Yeah, we're already in the sewers, so we busted through. Unless we're in another dimension, we've busted into you've another been, dimension. You've been waiting to say that all day. You had that queued up way too readily. These guys are hilarious, and they're they're obviously not, as far as I can tell, going to be recurring characters. But they're they're radioactive signs. They head over. And immediately start trying to open the barrels uh, that have these radioactive signs emblazoned on them. Yeah, they uh, they say this could be really dangerous stuff, so we should probably open it so we can get on with our work. And they do exactly that. They crack it open. And what could go wrong from there? Some some sort of green greenish ooze uh, bursts up from the barrel, uh, and they scream, and then we cut back to the gang, who are yes. in the mystery machine. The gang is riding along in the mystery machine. We pan to the back where uh, Shaggy sits alongside, uh, across from Velma. Uh, we're getting to the, to the best part. So, so Fred is in the front. He's driving uh, his, his mystery machine. Um, Daphne is sort of next to him. Her arm, her elbow is kind of up on his seat. She's kind of making, you know, like, lovey-dovey eyes at him. In the back, there are these, uh, you know, sort of like benches that face each other. That's where, um, that's where Shaggy and Velma are sitting. Because, and Scooby's up front with his head out the window. Yeah, so Scooby's kind of out, out of this scene. He can't really hear what's going on inside the van. That's important. And Velma leans into Shaggy, and she says, Why didn't you text me last night? I waited for you. Shaggy has a pretty crappy excuse. He and uh, Scooby were watching an old Vincent Van Gogh movie. They ordered a pizza, watched the movie, and fell asleep. That was why. And Vincent Van Gogh, that's a tight reference to 13 Ghosts of Scooby-Doo, which we previously covered on this uh 
this podcast, Velma then leans in even further, like she sidles up to him, and she does a finger walk up his chest. Uh, and it looks like she means to kiss him on the mouth, to which he immediately is sort of like, oh, let's like, let's keep this on the DL. Uh, she yeah, says, like, look, we don't don't do this in public. He says, Fred, Fred and Daphne are going to find out eventually. Yeah. Shaggy says, I don't care about that. I don't care about Fred and Daphne. It's Scooby. I'm worried about. He's my best friend. I have to break this to him slow. And uh, and let's let's just take a pause yeah, here and please. talk about the idea of, uh, I guess, Shaggy X Velma. We need to unpack this a little bit. Is this something that you think fans have been uh, clamoring for? <laughs> Sorry. I, I was just thinking of, like, their their ship names. And, like, Shelma... Shelma's, like, not great. But you know what's worse than Shelma? <laughs> Vaggy. <laughs> yeah. It would be Vaggy, at least. That's a hard G. Let's not toy with that. I don't think that makes it better, to be honest. Um, we just last episode, just last episode, they were dancing at their uh, at their school dance in a barn. Yeah, at the barn dance, and Velma was clearly disappointed that Shaggy had danced off with. Velma was disappointed because Shaggy had danced off with Scooby, leaving her uh, hugging the wall. Here, we had this d- is kind of some wish fulfillment going on. Yeah, I mean, we we had sort of like opined or like br- thought out loud about the fact that maybe maybe she's into Shaggy because like Fred and Daphne have their whole thing going on. She just wants maybe a little bit of like companionship of that sort. But here it seems like they have an actual fling in progress. Yeah, it, we jump into this episode in general in media res. This relationship has clearly been going on for a while. Why she's into Shaggy, I think, is the question that I have from the start. The live-action movie, when we see Matthew Lillard as Shaggy, it kind of clicks why why there would be a romantic side to everything. He's very sweet on top of everything else. This Shaggy doesn't hasn't introduced him any redeeming elements so far. It's also particularly fascinating because Velma and Shaggy are, for, for lack of a better word, dating one another at the start of this episode, and Fred and Daphne are very decidedly not that. It's true. It's kind of a... It goes a different direction than you would think they would try and go. And to mention something that I think is... It's there. We should talk about it. It's a little disappointing that they put both of the women... uh, They frame both of the female characters in this show as pining for romantic relationships that they're being denied. And that's central to their characters. And and, and the men are, are... Yeah, are... In positions of power and kind of the decision makers in those... Denying their advances. Yeah. It's, uh, and it, it does make them both kind of disappointingly one-dimensional. That Daphne needed more than Velma, to be sure. It, it definitely would have been nice if there was a little bit, if it existed on one side but not on the other side. Uh, how so? Like, like if, if Velma, Velma was in... Oh, like if, uh... Yeah, Vel, Velma was into Shaggy. Yeah, like Daphne and, Vel, and Fred's relationship was one way and Velma and Shaggy's was another. Yeah, then it would be fine. But, but as it stands, you're right, in which both of the women are kind of like pining after the men and the men are kind of like either blissfully ignorant or uh seemingly non-committal i think what i would have preferred to see and i love that they're doing this but would be shaggy winning velma over um and him having to do that in spite of his kind of childish nature and close relationship with scooby Um, it would it would have been really nice and i know 
we're talking about a lot about relationships and shipping and that sort of thing. But just yeah. it would have been so great if we could have seen the progression of how Velma slowly began to notice. Yeah, these kind, charming, redeeming qualities in Shaggy. Yeah, like, I think I'm kind of into Shaggy. I really, I want to see that. And it's kind of, I feel sad that I missed, like, their first moment together. I don't, I don't know if that's creepy, but, like, I am sad. Like, I want to be present for that. No, I. that makes perfect sense. Where at first she's just kind of like, oh, Shaggy, he's just, he's just like this silly, hungry man who his best friend is a dog and he just eats a lot. And then she slowly becomes more and more like endeared to him as like, a person. Hey, hey, well, this is a this is a serious man who's hungry for something else. Food of the spirit. I was going to say dad um, ass. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want you to keep that in the episode. Dad glasses. But no, I really I think that is really exciting. I I have a soft spot for that in a lot of media. The falling in love process is what you want to see. Being in love is great, and we do want to see their relationship validated, and that's the track that we're kind of on. It establishes that Velma wants their relationship to go public, Shaggy has some reservations, re-Scooby. And at the very least, I do like that. And if you if you check out um, our episode on Scooby-Doo, the movie, the 2002 live-action film, which uh, we have recorded already and will release in the future, we do touch on that conflict in which uh, Shaggy has found a girl that he likes to be with, and Scooby's very um, upset about it. He's jealous. He's kind of controlling. He's overzealous. Possessive. Uh, he... Uh, what are the rest of the lyrics? I'm so bad. I don't know popular music. I don't, I don't even know what song you're referring to. That's how out of loop. I'm jealous. I'm overzealous. I work hard and I break things. Anyway, it's fine. Whatever. Our... Some of our listeners will get it. Velma, again, Velma just d- wants their relationship to go public. So she says, you know what? Let's just tell Scooby right now. She says, Scooby! And she's about to tell him that she and Shaggy are together. But in a very cinematic uh, series of events, a manhole cover... A, a manhole flies just pops up. out of the ground right in front of the mystery machine, making it come to a stop. It just flies up way in the air. All of this green gas, uh, it's billowing out of this manhole... Um, and uh, Fred breaks the the van. The mystery machine screeches to a halt. Um, the, the gas is billowing all around. Uh, Daphne she she throws herself over to the side and starts cranking the window open and manages to close it just in time for a hand to uh, to sort of slap against the side of the the side of the van. Yeah, a slime covered hand to hit the window. Daphne has got some good reaction times it, here, and it's a very dynamic action scene. It's very exciting. And then we sort of see... It's like a horror movie. I thought, like, The Mist or something like that. Yeah. And the monster kind of lumbers off. We don't yet see the monster for what it is at this point, which I thought was really great. Yeah, it does before it wanders off. It shoots out two pillar-like column of, columns of slime hands, kind of like Clayface from Spider-Man, and rocks the van for a second. Clayface Batman. Sandman Spider-Man. Ah, uh, you're right. Kind of like Sandman from Spider-Man, if you, like me, can remember that reference immediately correctly off the top of your head. From there, the gang decides they want to go underground, because as Fred says, this is better than school. More important than school, at the least. More important than school. Uh, They head down there, Vum sees the barrels. As a result of oxidation, probably 30 to 40 years old, they're looking all around. Uh, I don't believe Fred says, gang, let's split up and look for clues. That is what they do. They just take it as a given. And, it, and we do know that they they already are mystery solvers, so they've been operating as a well-oiled machine for a while. Uh, and Daphne is the first person to find a clue. She finds a locket 
on the ground with a question mark on it. Yes, and the locket is shaped like a magnifying glass. She pops it open, there's a picture in it. And we don't really get a uh, great look at that picture. It's like a sepia tone. It's a couple. They look to be from like the, I don't know, like the 20s or 40s or Kinda something. Kind of hard to tell. But the, uh, the sepia tones make it look like it's, uh, it's old. But she snaps it shut just as fast as she finds it. And we're looking on towards other more sinister clues. Which is all to say that they all look up at the ceiling of this cave. And the foreman and his two assistants or workers have been uh, cocooned to the ceiling in this green slime and have desiccated appearances. Yes, they look viciously emaciated. They're like all they're like mummified within this green goo and stuck to the ceiling. Which is to me very scary and I think the reason for that is when I was a kid I saw an episode of Johnny Quest uh, and I know we've talked about this before in which there's a gas that mummifies people. And Johnny Quest's, like, girlfriend or, like, female friend breathes some of it in and immediately shrivels up. And that <sighs> really scared me. That she could become not so thick in just an instant. Man. Okay. She was oh. not thick. She was, a, I believe, like a 13-year-old girl. From curvy to skinny in a moment's breath. You already said thick, which is the worst thing that you could have said. Because I could hear the way you spelled it in the way that you said it. I deny all allegations. We're, we're back up top. Um, these, uh, Patrick Warburton is there. Yes, Patrick Warburton, the sheriff, is there, voicing a very obvious conflict of interest as he scolds the, uh, kids for messing with this area. He says, this is a crime, no, this is a crime scene and future tourist attraction. So it's kind of like, the, the sheriff is there to solve crimes, but also to preserve mysteries. Yeah, and, and basically, Fred... These these bodies are uh yeah, sure. They're they're bodies of, of human beings, of people. But you know what else they are? They're clues. <laughs> yeah. And Fred's got a raging one. Um he's gotta bring back to the van. So Fred goes over and he says, you know, I'm just gonna talk to him, I'm gonna get one of these bodies. And he ends up just grabbing one, picking it up, running back to the van, throwing it in the back, and they drive off. Uh because they were not in a talking mood, no. I believe is what he and says. it's hard to fully blame him because Patrick War- Sheriff Warburton is very combative and not at all helpful. Unlike every other sheriff we ever see in Scooby-Doo, he doesn't actually seem like he's either any degree of competent or any, any degree of interested in helping solve the mystery. And so they've got to do this kind of on their own. They head to a local high school or college, it's not specified, um, to approach a man whose name is Professor R- Raffalo. Yes, Fred describes him as just the person to take a look at this body. And he's like a science professor or whatever, right? Some sort of science instructor. Um, So I thought it was a little strange that he managed to um, conjure up a stethoscope, uh, which he uses to to listen to the, the body. And it turns out that it's in a state of suspended animation, which is which is good. Because it means that Fred didn't scoop up a corpse and throw it into the back of the van. Uh, yeah, they're in suspended animation. And as we're learning this, Scooby tries to steal some Scooby snacks from a squirrel in a cage. And uh, the squirrel gets mad and attacks him. And Scooby refers to these this squirrel food as Scooby snacks, which made me question, is anything that Scooby eats a Scooby snack? Like, is that why Scooby snacks look so different all Te- the time? Technically speaking, I would say, yeah, right? He's Scooby. These are his snacks. That's what... They're I Scooby guess a snacks. lot of the time they probably just throw him a like a cup coaster or a pebble and are just like, hey, for a Scooby snack, <laughs> if he eats it, it's a Scooby snack. 
Ah, frick. What was I going to say before? Oh, Oh, yeah. So, um, Scooby getting into shenanigans and creating a lot of visual gags while while exposition takes place is very common in Scooby-Doo. That wasn't something I would have, like, defined before we got into this podcast, but it's occurred a lot. And I think it's really interesting because past iterations, and, and I know every time we do a Scrappy show, it inevitably becomes about Shaggy and Scooby and Scrappy. But on this show in particular, uh, Scooby and Shaggy do the least out of everyone. They're barely there, really. I'd say Daphne and Velma, even though I'm not crazy about what they're doing with them from a feminist perspective. It's not particularly egalitarian. Not egalitarian, yeah. Not very feminist forward. They do take very central roles in the story. Like, they they probably have the most... What's the word for autonomy that we were dying to figure uh, out? Oh, no. Are we going to do this again? Yes. Until we won't move on until we have it. Okay, all right. They don't on. have That's... the most... It's not motive. Agency. Is it agency? Agency, yes. They, they have the most agency of any character in this TV show. They're the ones whose decisions really make things happen. And that's refreshing to see. But really, everyone has some great character moments. Uh, what I like is that after they've dropped off the body at this uh, institu- educational institution, they immediately head over to uh, partake of some frozen, frozen d- desserts. Yes, these frozen desserts are from a place called Fruit Myers, and we've actually had one reference to Fruit Myers before. One of the construction workers in the sewer was eating some. It was actually the foreman who uh, leaned on the wall as he was having a little scoop of this little frozen smoothie treat, this green uh, smoothie, Fruit Myers. Can you, and that's what they're going to have. Can you about. do a goofy clown voice? <laughs> yeah, I'm a clown. Remember, it's not it's not ice cream. Oh, that's not bad. Okay, remember, it's not ice cream. It's not yogurt. I really don't know what it is. That's what uh, Fruit Myers the clown says about this this uh, dessert that he is peddling to the town of Crystal yeah, Cove. It's not fruit. It's not ice cream. I really don't know what it is. Are we just gonna go through all of the different uh, impressions that we can respectively do? Because I can't do very many. <laughs> I can't either. This quickly goes to Sean Connery, Robert De Niro territory. <laughs> Staples. Uh, but anyways, the gang is enjoying some fruit myers as they walk and talk. Uh, Scooby and Shaggy got like a rack of twelve of them between them. I I, I called it a a, a flight because it looked Ooh. like a flight of like vodka or like soju. That's or right. Something. Like you're getting a tasting of various micro brews. They got a flight of fruit myers smoothies. Uh, Velma has some very intellectual things to say about uh, about this fruit myers concoction she says it's likely a multicellular mutation uh of radiated allotropes and free radical implosion she eats it anyway like yeah. i just want to point I that guess out that's a good thing i want free radical implosion in all of my ice creams and here we get back to what i think you and i are really digging about this show is is um Velma, Shaggy Velma. Velma tries to hold his hand, right? Yeah, Velma goes to hold Shaggy's hand as they're all standing around. She sees Shaggy, like, lick all the fruit myers off of his own face, and apparently that does it for her. She just needs to hold his hand. But Shaggy reacts. He, like, pulls his hand back, and that's a painful thing for someone to do to you if you've ever gone through that. And he, he says, uh, I, I'm gonna go get some more fruit myers. He, him and Scooby race back in to, to get more of this frozen yeah, And treat. to really grind some salt into that wound, if that wasn't painful enough for Velma, Daphne says, hey, it looks like there's something going on with you and Shaggy. I mean, it is a question. It is, uh, Velma, is there something going on between you and Shaggy? And then, and then like, Peter... <laughs> 
During the trial of Jesus Christ, she denies it. <laughs> she denies it three times. We hear a cock crow in the distance. And and then she knows. Oh, I, we can't keep walking down that path any further. <laughs> I, I don't know if I want it to be that I keep throwing out these, like, biblical references, these these Judeo-Christian deep cuts, but, uh, I, I quite, I, I like them. It's what we know. I mean, if we'd been, if we'd grown up reciting, uh, hip-hop raps with our parents every night, then we'd be doing different kinds of bits here. But we've got what we've got. Uh, and... Which is to say, like, Velma really does deny it vehemently. She does. She says, no, why would something be going on with me and Shaggy? Nothing's going on with me and Shaggy. Why would there be? She gets she gets angry, uh, and which means that Fred and Daphne are left alone. It's just the two of them. They're walking back to the mystery machine. Um, and Daphne's kind of like, you know, like, maybe we can go on a drive or something. Yeah, she says, hey, let's go on a drive. Talk about that locket that we found. And what a romantic gift that must have made someone. And, uh... Fred says, come on, Daphne, I know you don't care about that girly stuff. That's, That's why, why we make we're such, such good, good friends. friends. Yeah. And it's, ah, oh, it's so painful. Ooh, that too is so painful. He says, I'll drop you off back at your house so I can get started on a new trap. <laughs> I, I really love, like, it's obviously painfully one-dimensional, but I love honest, eager, simple, trap-building, trap-loving Fred. It gets me every time. Every time they do this. This could be the whole rest of the show, and I'd still love it. He he only has eyes for traps. He's a trap sexual. You see that beside me? This is me standing by it. <laughs> um... Professor Raffalo is inspecting the body uh, back at the back at the school, and he's attacked. Uh, janitor runs back in only to find Professor Raffalo. Uh, he's stuck to he's cocooned, just like the miners were in the cave to the ceiling in this school. We have a series of intercuts: the the professor, someone mopping the floor outside of his office. The professor mopping the floor. The professor's on the ceiling. Somehow this goop got him. Uh, and then and this is a little. I feel like the transition wasn't like super solid or it was well jarring. explained. Yeah. But all of a sudden they are in a I guess a radio station. Yeah. Uh, K. Ghoul. <laughs> I didn't catch that. That's nice. Yeah, and uh, the DJ on duty is Angel Dynamite. She's voiced by Vivica A. Fox, and she's very like black exploitationy, for lack of a better word. Well, she had like a giant afro, and she's wearing like hippie, a hippie kind of dippy outfit. Yeah, just spitting some sweet, smooth rhymes out onto the uh, airwaves. Um, and it's it's interesting because there, I, I guess that's where they hang out, which is interesting. Like that being their clubhouse with. Given like given that it's someone's workplace, yeah, like none of them work there. It's someone else's workplace, but that's where they hang out. And we're not—that's not described for the audience at all. We just show up there. There's been no references to this. Pl- There's been no references to this place, and they don't explain why what their relationship is with Angel Dynamite at any point. We the gang just shows up here, and she says he's in the back. And by the gang, I don't mean Fred, because Fred is the person in the back, lying on the floor, clutching a record player. And he's, he's really distraught. He says, it's no use, gang. I'm the one who stole the body, and Professor Raffalo paid the price. Yeah, Velma says, no, come on, we all stole the body. <laughs> which is, which is kind of nice. We're all accomplices to, to your crime here, Fred. Yeah, but Shaggy protests, Shaggy doth protest. I, I didn't steal that body, actually. I didn't do that, Fred. You stole the body, and you drove the van. Velma points out that, like, look, 
we still have clues. I brought some of the cocoon material, uh, Scooby, which Scooby is eating. He's digging into it. Angel Dynamite says, if that dog mutates, I'm putting it down. Dead. <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a dark moment. Because, yes, Angel Dynamite says on screen that if anything happens to Scooby, if he transforms or whatever, she will kill him. Because I like, yeah, I like how she could have said, she could have just said, put it down, but she underscores it by saying dead. Like, we as an audience don't know what to, putting down a dog means. Put him down. Dead. Full stop. So he's not living. We'll have to bury him afterwards. He'll decompose. Dead things do that. Uh, Thanks, <laughs> Angel. Sh- uh, Scooby says the cocoon is, the cocoon is Fruit Myers. Yeah. At, at which point, every person in the Kegel radio station take someone puts it in their mouths it's the most bizarre moment where we don't run it through any kind of test i mean this is an opportunity for velma to really show her smarts but she does not everyone just dips a finger in and takes a taste of this radioactive material i guess you can pretty well trust scooby's taste buds and shaggy's as well he tastes it before everyone else at which point it's like look this this is fruit myers that's cocooning these 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 men. I mean, they're all men at this point. Uh, and what do we know about Franklin Fruitmeyer? Not much. Not much. This is an opportunity for Velma to show her smarts. She Googles uh, Franklin Fruitmeyer, and nothing is known about him except that he showed up in town two months ago with a great new business. And also, he's hiring female servers right now, which, to my knowledge, is not something that I think you can do. I don't think that you can hire specifically female female. I mean, it servers. depends where you're Isn't at. That... You can certainly hire, like, cocktail waitresses and the like um i'm not sure how you have to categorize that i think it's it's possible it doesn't really make sense in a small town like crystal cove and i mean and then there's a little gag here you would think that uh that velma and daphne are the ones who are going to be the female servers it turns out that it is going to be uh scooby and shaggy which i thought was great because it let me write in my notes uh shag and drag shag and drag also something that we covered two episodes ago was shaggy cross-dressing uh, I guess that was in the captions two episodes ago. Um, and and Sh- Shaggy protests a little bit. Hey, why do we have to pretend to be women? You are women. And Velma says, uh, because we refuse. Okay, that's pretty fair. A woman has a right to refuse. Yeah. We cut to Shaggy and Scooby wrapping up their shift, closing up Fruitmeyers at the end of the day. And I love the implied fact that they worked a full shift at Fruitmeyers. Oh, I like to think that they worked hard. This is a callback. I hate to do this. I'm going to do this one last time, hopefully for the last time ever. A callback to High Rise Hair Razor, which is our bonus zero episode, which unfortunately you can only access through donating a certain amount of Patreon. But in that episode, the men are hired to work on the skyscraper. And by men, I mean Fred, Shaggy, and Scooby. Yeah, the women have to... The women just go hang out and do nothing in the meantime. But the joke there was that they would sooner hire Scooby for a construction job than a woman. Here, the funny thing is that they would sooner hire Scooby and Shaggy for this job than other women. <laughs> so yeah, there's, there's precedent for, uh, for Scooby working human jobs. Wow. That is a great callback. Donate to us on Patreon. Give us your money. Anyways, we're moving on. They're, they're doing their very best to try to tie Franklin Fruitmeyer to the slime mutant. Yeah, so Scooby and Shaggy close down their shop. Everyone else shows up. Velma very kindly has brought a change of clothes for Shaggy and Scooby's collar. So they get into normal street clothes and they explore the Fruitmeyer's facility. 
there's a there's a closet um, that Daphne's trying to get into. It's locked. She cannot. Uh, Scooby and Shaggy show up. They try to get into the closet. I believe because they're looking for more fruit Myers to uh, to consume. They've forgotten about looking for clues. They're now looking for fruit Myers to consume. The fact um, that it's involved with this case does not seem to bother them. Scooby uh, makes one of the claws on one of his paws very long and pointed. He uses it to uh, to unlock the door. They open it, and we get our first glimpse at the slime. Pretty scary mutant. It looks pretty supernatural. It's kind of glowing. It's got this exo-layer of slime all around it, and kind of a visible skeleton underneath that slime. Yeah, like with some musculature on it. It's a really fantastic monster design. It made me think of... uh, I guess sort of like Blight from Batman Beyond, if you know anything about... It doesn't uh, summon an image, my friend. And then another reference that you won't get at all, which is a Glob Herman of of, uh, one of the ex-kids. You were right in that Um, I did not get that. Which is to say that these are also characters who have a skeleton of sorts surrounded by a glowing sort of slime consistency. Yeah. And, uh... I don't know, it, it probably doesn't matter at all, but I think in this, it looks animated, but I think it's computer-generated, and they animate I, I over know I, for, for a fact that, because I can tell, that in, in a number of scenes, the Mystery Machine is CGI. It is definitely CGI. It's nicely done. It doesn't look like a CGI car in an animated world. It, it's it done really well. flawlessly, or seamlessly, uh, I should say. Yeah, and I think it's the same thing here with the... Uh, with the monster. It's it's CGI, but they do it so it looks it fits in perfectly with the traditional animation. And we t- so we get our first glimpse of it and through the eyes of our most cowardly characters Scooby and Shaggy. Obviously, they freak out. Um so there's a little bit of a I guess a little bit of a chase scene. Um and I think that this might be and I know that we came into this like really like loving this show and I think we still love it. I don't think that this necessarily detracts from our enjoyment, but this was to to have the monster show up and to have it chase them would allow them for them to really lean into a lot of like those Scooby tropes. Yeah, and to summon some great not, Scooby memories. And it's not it's not a very long chase scene, and also there is no Scooby dupe in this episode. Yes, the Scooby dupe, of course, is where Scooby and Shaggy pretend to be in the middle of some kind of activity, and they force the monster to buy in and play along with them. And and due to, I guess, the social pressures, the monster has no choice but to comply. And here, there's a great opportunity to pretend that they are both waitresses at Fruitmeyer's, because they are, and to give the monster another uniform and make him start working the job along with them. Yeah, uh, like, oh, I can't believe you haven't clocked in yet. You're, you're late yeah. for your shift. Like, are you... We're gonna, you know, we're gonna have to dock you for that. Yeah, That's like five it, demerit points. When Scooby hands his apron, I'm going on rake, and then he like they step, <laughs> they step away. Um, and like, d- yeah, dump a whole bunch of product on him or something like that. That doesn't yeah, the happen. The scene writes itself. It really does. Um, and the chase scene is over as soon as it begins, really. Um, Scooby and Shaggy just run away from the monster. Uh, no one else sees it. They run into Daphne, who is in a closet, and uh, she gets knocked down a hole in the floor. Yeah, she was in the same closet that the, the monster initially came out of. Um, looking down at the... They end up going down into that hole, and they see that just a few meters away, there's another hole underneath uh, the Crystal Cove bank. And Scooby very helpfully says that maybe the reason for this is, uh, Rabia's hungry. 
Maybe, maybe this monster is hungry. Fred says, yeah, hungry for money. Yeah, so clearly the monster was digging underneath, was using the underground cave system to break into places, at least to try and break into the bank, probably. And it, it appears to really heavily implicate uh, Franklin Fruitmeyer, because there's a hole in his... Uh, and again, we can't call it like an ice cream or frozen yogurt shop in, in the the bit in the, the floor of his fruit mire shop and then also the floor of the bank. <laughs> I like that idea like, oh, so it's ice cream. You can't call it that. Oh, okay. Well, can I get a smoothie? Please don't call it that. We're not legally allowed yeah. to call it a smoothie. Uh, according to government regulations, we also cannot refer to it as yogurt. It is, uh, for lack of a better term, fruit mires. <laughs> okay, well, look, man, I just want to get a bite to eat. Uh, legally, we can, uh, t- we can give you uh, something to put in your mouth and swallow. Okay, it's it's but there's fruit in it, right? No, sir, fruit myers. There's fruit myers in it. It's it's a single word. Please do not break it apart. Uh, we cannot, for a fact, state that there's fruit in this. We cannot, for a fact, state that there's myers in this. It is fruit myers. Wait, what? What would myers in it be? Look, look, we've already said too much. Just please eat it. I, I'm sorry, I can't say eat it. Please inge- Please put it in your mouth and swallow it. Well, do you at least have a list of ingredients? Okay, well, we are, we are again, legally mandated to provide that. Okay, all right, I'm reading this. This says radiated allotropes and free radical implosion. I think what you're probably looking for is the calorie count, and that's a little bit more re- readable. Basically, the monster gets away, at which point, it's time for the gang to set up a trap. Yeah, and that's, of course, Fred's big department. And we see the gang as a group helping enact Fred's plan. This is a, a classic Scooby-Doo direction to go. And it's much more intricate. I, I think the closest we've gotten to a trap being this intricate is um, A Night of Fright is No Delight, in which a monster had to be blown by a fan across suds into a laundry machine. Yes, and the laundry machine would uh, yeah, then slam closed on the monster. But that ultimately became a plane, a biplane. Um, in, here, in a very perplexing turn of events. Here it's much more akin to a... Uh, to a Rube Goldberg machine. Yeah, they, this is an OK Go music video in the making. <laughs> it's it's extremely extremely elaborate, and basically they are uh, they're getting this monster to chase them yeah, to get him to. S- go ahead. They're yeah they're they're getting the monster to chase him. They're each distracting him in turn, trying to get him to some sort of destination. And uh, yeah. and they're setting up a whole bunch of uh, levers and seesaws and uh, planks and. L- and uh, ropes and tracks. At at one point, uh, we're led to believe that a swinging anvil was sort of the plan to, to hit the monster and incapacitate it. Uh, the monster dodges it easily. The anvil continues on and ends up like knocking down another portion of this Rube Goldberg machine, which you know knocks more things down and swings more things. It's one thing after another. And a little context for this: at this stage, the monster is kind of zeroed in on Daphne, who's crawling away. He's like slimed one foot, and she's like getting hampered, and she's crawling away as he's closing in on her. The anvil swings again and misses him. Fred is kind of like biting his nails with interest. Clearly not for Daphne, but wondering if his trap is going to succeed. He really wants... That's that's a mistake that he might regret, is if he makes a bad trap. But what if, what if someone dies because a trap doesn't work? Then it will mean my trap failed! No! Uh, and everything looks to work really, really well. A large steel cage drops from the ceiling. Yes, we see bars slam in front of the uh, slams, in front of monster. Having trapped, uh, having trapped the gang. The gang, yes. It almost worked perfectly, except that the cage fell 
trapping the entire gang except Daphne. Save for again, Daphne. She was. It's, it's exceptionally. Uh, exceptionally well edited, where the cage falls and you actually think it has fallen on the monster. This show, the whole episode was impeccably edited and very funny. The beats land. Uh, the monster, uh, the slime mutant, he slimes the gang and then goes off to uh, to, to stalk Daphne. Daphne, who's running away as fast as she can while the gang is both caged and slimed, just double incapacitated. So as, as she's escaping... Uh, Shaggy and Scooby remember that uh, they're trapped not in ice cream, not in yogurt, not in sherbet, not uh, not in any sort of uh, frozen confectionery, but in um, fruit Myers, and realize that they can eat their way out of this trap that that they are in. Fred declares, "Everyone start eating," and they all begin munching down on this uh, on this goop. And in the meantime, Daphne has a very high octane chase scene. One on one with the monster. This was more horror movie than Scooby Doo. It was straight up directed like a horror movie. Like she goes for the door and it like yeah, stops and, her. I, she's and just to get out of the cage, she has to jump up and like grab onto this ledge to pull herself out. And she has like one dangling leg that the monster grabs for. She just manages to get it above. And I haven't felt that sensation since I was six years old with a leg dangling off the bed trying to fall asleep. Like it's it's yeah, cringingly it's, scary. It's terrifying. And, and right at the end of it, what it does is it slimes both of her feet to the floor and then starts to advance on her. Yeah, she's and she's put up a great fight. This is the moment that made me say, you know what, this is perhaps a feminist show. Um, I mean, it, it's a little unfortunate that she's, once again, like like um, Daphne the damsel in distress, but she, she does, for her credit, like, give the monster will run for its money yeah she i to me she's the hero of this episode uh even though fred is the one that saves her by spraying the monster with a fire hose of green goop sliming the slimer can we just call it what it is luke it's fruit fruit (laughs) yeah can we can we just call it green goop actually we are not allowed to call it green goop that is a licensed term and also green goop has nutritional value um uh (laughs) fred you saved me not right now, Daphne. I need to figure out why my trap didn't work. Fred has his priorities straight. And uh, just then, the sheriff busts open the door, and uh, along with Fred's, Fred's dad, the mayor. And uh, they, the gang basically announces that, look, it's, it's Franklin Fruitmeyer. Yeah, and uh, in between lecturing the gang for capturing the latest tourist attraction, uh, or I guess that it's, it's not Franklin Fruitmeyer. No, Franklin Fruitmeyer steps because in. Because he's the one who called He called them in. He yeah, called a the alarm went off, and he was just being a good citizen. Uh, so who else could the monster be? Let's take a moment. Listeners, do you know who the monster is? Do, 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 do. It's kind of a Jeopardy slash Blue's Clues moment for all of you. <laughs> That's right. Okay. It's... Well, no, they said it. They got it right. Should we do the outro? No, it... <laughs> This episode Thank is over. Guys. All right. Well, let's let's just sort of do it so that we have the sound bite. It's well, who who could it be? Before we say who it is, I'm sorry. Well, I think there could only unless it's a parent, right? Unless it's a parent, which I'm, and, and if it if it was going to be any parent, it would it would be uh, Velma's parents. But it's not readily apparent. Instead, it is Doctor Robello. Uh, Raffalo. Raffalo. Excuse me. Again, oh, another one of my favorite parts of this episode. But you've got a job as a teacher. Why do you need more money? 
And then it just, it's a shot of his face with no audio. <laughs> and then it cuts back to the gang. Oh, yeah, that's, that, that makes sense. That's fair. I get it why he would. Yeah, mm-hmm, I get it. It's, yeah, it, it's, it's a wonderful, wonderfully insightful commentary on the state of education in America. On what we pay our teachers here in America. The, one, the men and women who are shaping uh, the hearts and minds of our youth. Yeah. I mean, you're lucky you've got good education up there's options up there in Canada, Evan. That's why you'd never need to come here for college or anything like that. Evan went to college in America. It was very expensive. <laughs> no, seriously, it was very expensive. I would have paid, like, I think a quarter of that much if I had gone to school here. Uh, donate to us on Patreon. Cover Evan's college expenses. And so we've caught the villain. And the reason that he did it was very simple, just because he needed the money. But my question is, how did he do it? How did he get himself stuck on the ceiling? And this is this is what's so great, because that is the question that should be on your mind, because he was attacked, ostensibly, by the slime mutant. Um, and he shows himself... Uh, what he does is he, he covers himself in the, uh, in the fruit mires, and then he fashions a catapult of sorts in a closet, and he catapults, flings himself up at the ceiling. Yeah, it's as a, I'd say more like a, a, a slingshot. Like, he he strings some rubber uh, to either side of this cabinet, pushes himself, like, into the cabinet, and then it bounces him in onto the ceiling, and the cabinet slams shut, kind of concealing the evidence. It's a very clever little mystery, and we didn't even realize that was the mystery. And that, and I like it because, like, they're they're filling in this plot hole that honestly i think earlier iterations of scooby-doo would not have considered a plot hole would never have filled it in no the earlier iterations of scooby-doo are like not far from pulling the mask off and there's no one in the suit and then they just walk away from an empty suit (laughs) guess we'll never know uh here they they really did their due diligence professor ruffalo does say uh, you meddling kids and your blasted dog ruined everything. Would you mind? Would you mind reading the sheriff's last lines for me? Ooh. Uh, in in that Patrick Warburton impression that you've uh, so finely honed. Um, just before the sheriff's final line, uh, as they're carting away Doctor Raffello, Daphne pulls out the locket, the spot, the um, uh, magnifying glass shaped locket and says, but what's the deal with this locket that we found? And although Fred's dad, the mayor, kind of has a shocked look of recognition on his face, we don't find out what the deal is with it. It has nothing to do whatsoever with, uh, with Professor Raffalo. Nothing to do at all. To wrap up the mystery, the sheriff says, oh, well, I guess you guys did a good job finding the ghost that was going to rob the bank, but you also lost a serious revenue stream. Stream of revenue! <laughs> I love you, Patrick Warburton. You're amazing. You would think that this is where the episode would end. It actually wraps up with them back at K. Ghoul, back at the radio station, and they're just chilling. They're just, like, you know, listening to some tunes when a caller calls in. Yes, and the caller may have a familiar voice to you if you're a fan of Louis Black, because that's who it is. Uh, and uh, he's got a very ominous thing to say. Well, Lewis Black, just for listeners, um, he voiced anger in Pixar's Inside Out. That is likely how you how you best know him in in recent works. Yes, that's a that's a good good call for it. He appeared on John Stewart a lot. I remember him from that. And he's he uh, he's got a bunch of uh, comedy album of the year awards. Uh, well, he 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 basically tells the gang, "You're all doomed." 
he also refers to himself, uh, he gives himself the moniker of Mr. E, which I can only assume is the not-so-coded uh, reference to him being a drug smuggler of ecstasy. <laughs> Just call me Mr. E. What does he sell? I don't know. I've been trying to figure it out for a long time. Um, and he says, you are all doomed. That's the first thing he says as soon as they pick up. Uh, yeah, it's it's exceptionally ominous. Uh, and also, the real mystery of Crystal Cove has just begun. Yes, and we realize that there is going to be an overarching mystery. There are overarching relationships to be developed and a mystery to be explored here. And there's been a whole lot of ground seeded for what's to come. And that's the episode. It's nice. Well, I mean, it is. It is. It has many of the classic, tra- many of the trappings of a classic episode of Scooby Doo, in which there is a there is a ghost or ghoul that is terrorizing a town, um, and then that ghost or ghoul is unmasked uh, to find a person behind it who is doing this for like material gain. Um, but then beneath beneath all of that, there is this mystery locket, and then I guess above all of that. There's all this wonderful relationship drama. Yeah, I love that we meet each of the characters' parents. We find uh, the Dinklys, who are each just older versions of Velma. We meet Shaggy's parents, who each clearly contributed half of who Shaggy is. Daphne's parents come from wealth, and she they, we kind of get how she's so prissy, and they're, again, both ultra-attractive versions of her. And we see Fred's dad, and although Fred's dad doesn't look a whole lot like him, he's got a more angular face and dark hair rather than blonde, um, we see that there are some expectations for Fred that he's going to have to deal with at some point. It's very interesting. And just one other thing, Fred's dad is voiced by Gary Cole, who... Uh, Man, Gary Cole. No. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're thinking of... Frick, what is it? I can't even... <laughs> you're thinking of George Foreman. <laughs> George Foreman. F me. Oh, my mistake. They just look so similar to me. I love that you don't see size even though you clearly see race. <laughs> Gary Cole is probably not a name that's familiar to you, but you probably would recognize this actor as the boss from Office Space, who's uh, gonna need you to come in on Monday early. He's also the voice of Harvey Birdman. Uh, he appears in Dodgeball. I'm pretty sure it's Harvey Birdman. Harvey Birdman, attorney <laughs> at law. Harvey Birdman. I actually, I, th- I, is, is that I it? don't know. I've never actually watched that. I was just, he, I was just he, joking. I've also not seen it. Gary Cole is just generally the, the dickish guy, like dickish villain in so many different movies and episodes of things. He's never a nice guy. Uh, but here he's Fred's dad, who is, although kind of uptight, a nice guy. They had a great cast for this whole episode. There's a lot of foundation has been laid down. Um, and I guess just to sort of, because I think we've been pretty thorough, what I loved more than anything else was just the interpersonal relationships within Mystery Incorporated itself. Yeah. I th- we both clearly loved what they did with Fred. We like ultra, like Fred with blinders on, Fred with the one-track mind. And it was exacerbated and elevated by Daphne's deep desire for him to be more and to notice her. Although she did early on say that she loved about him, that he has this kind of genius that you don't recognize. And he... Uh, he sees things different and wants to catch these different things in his traps. She liked that about him. It really also speaks to, uh, <clears throat> I guess, I guess at, up to this point, the titling convention of Scooby-Doo incarnations, in which the Scooby-Doo and Scrappy-Doo show, uh, Sco- Scooby-Doo and Scrappy, and, and also Shaggy, they're the main components, right? The, the rest of the gang is sidelined. And this, this is Scooby-Doo, granted, which you need 
to show that it's a Scooby Doo show, but it's called Mystery Incorporated. Yeah, Scooby Doo colon Mystery Incorporated. And it really is about everyone in the game. Yeah, clearly we have a lot to explore with uh, each of the pairs. What I hope we see a little bit of is Scooby and Fred. Oh, excuse me, Shaggy and Fred. I I hope there's something to that relationship because they're both depicted as very one-dimensional characters with one main interest that everything falls underneath and I want to see what happens when those worlds collide. Yeah, I like like I really liked it when when Shaggy was driving the mystery machine and Fred was freaking out in a Scooby-Doo Halloween. My mystery machine. <laughs> this is so weird back here. Hey, you're you're riding the clutch pretty hard there, pal. Oh, that's better. It's the markings of a really good sitcom when you can take your various characters and you can mix and match them and keep coming up with uh, really entertaining pairings. And and that is definitely what I want to see in Scooby-Doo. Yeah, we want to see these guys paired up and, mi- mix and mixed and matched. It's the Brooklyn Nine-Nine formula, to my thinking, although I'm sure it's not the first series to do it. Bro- Brooklyn Nine-Nine does, does an exceptionally uh, good job with this. And, um, and Community, for however many members it had, uh, didn't do this as well as it could have just because they had a hard time pairing Shirley up with different people. Uh, I was about to say Shirley didn't pair well with anyone. Uh, which, which I think I, I, which I feel like they could have done better. I think whenever they paired up with Britta, that was kind of like their. Those were the best episodes. Um, but uh, as a whole, she made it difficult. I think that they struggled with her. Um, but with Scooby Doo, they made her judge everyone, which was kind of made her unable to side with anybody. Everyone else, yeah. Anyways. With Scooby-Doo, there are so few characters that there's no... Re- like, how many possible combinations are there? And and here, I don't think we're probably actually going to see the Scooby... Uh, or, like, a Shaggy, Shaggy-Daphne Shaggy interaction that's really meaningful. Or pretty much any time between Shaggy and Fred. Or Scooby and Fred, for that matter. Like, there, there are established tracks. I just love that we're exploring more of them than we normally do. I... Man, I... I, I, I think I ship them. I think I ship... I think I ship uh, Velma and, and, and Shaggy. I, I, I ship everyone here. Every possible connection between one and another, I ship. Though, though that being said, I also would have loved it, possibly even more so, if the hetero, the hetero pairings had been uh, switched up. If it had been Fred, Velma, uh, Daphne, Shaggy. That one is so bold, I almost didn't want to mention it, because I think that will enrage people as much as it will... Uh... That would have been incredible. That would have been so interesting. It's, I, I want to explore that. And I think once you have relationships on the table, if you're going to keep things churning, it will eventually reach that point where that is at least discussed or explored or addressed to some degree. But it's not here. It probably won't be. And I, I, think, I think the thing with Scooby-Doo is Scooby-Doo has never been a show that has a lot of... Um, oh, what's up with the word I'm looking for? It's not tawdry. Campy? Well, it's it's never had a lot of, like... It, it's like a word for drama that is that is a little more, like, unpleasant. It's 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 never had, like, a lot of, like... Um, it, it's never been, had that, that sort of relationship drama. Because you, you have a show like... Uh, you have a show like Community. Where uh, there was a lot of, like, dating between various characters. There's a lot of dirty laundry to be aired. And, and eventually, eventually communi- Community became very, like, incestuous. In terms of like the pairings, and I think with, where everybody's been with everybody. Yeah, and I think with Scooby Doo, there are not enough pairings, but uh, for it to not get weird really, really quickly. Well, yeah, hetero leaves after the first two pairings. <laughs> the first two, yeah, 
kinds of matches, then you have to start getting creative with who's into what. Yeah, you you need at least six. You need six or more to kind of have people be able to like pair up differently and have it not get super weird super fast. Yeah, and I'm I'm okay with non-hetero explore, explorations. It's just uh, it it becomes more unwieldy the more different kinds of connections. Yeah, I, I don't know. For I think the big thing is that. To, to keep the relationship simple and to make it clear that everyone still likes one another. You can't mix and match in this small group that much. And we and I, I think it's pretty safe to say that we like it when people like each other. Uh, people being Mystery Incorporated. Yeah, we do definitely like that a lot. I just... Here's what I think this series could have benefited from. We don't yet see Shaggy and Velma together. It's Fred and uh, Fred and Daphne who are together, but that Fred's not willing to commit because he's so into traps. But I really want to... That's a relationship I don't feel like I need to see from scratch because it's a given. I take Fred and, and Daphne's relationship as a given, not Shaggy and Velma's. That's one I want to see develop. But overall, this episode was incredible. I, I know that this has been my favorite episode we've seen so far because it was very hard to stop myself from watching the next one right after. I, I don't know, I actually don't know if it's my favorite episode that I've seen so far, just because, like, I really like Make a Beeline Away From That Feline. Ooh, that one, that one's transcendent. Right, That that's just like a really good episode of Scooby-Doo, but I, I 100% agree with you in that it really made me want to keep watching this show. It really made me want to keep uh, going along. And uh, just for our listeners who may also be interested in following uh, this particular program, uh, just because of the structure of our podcast, we are sort of, we're doing like a tasting menu of a Scooby-Doo. Yeah, we want to keep things fresh. We don't want to go just from the first episode of Scooby-Doo chronologically up to present. We'd never get to present. And uh, and it would get dull after a little. But we want to give you the, all the variety of Scooby-Doo because that's part of what we love about it. And so as much as we want to dive back into the next episode of this series next week and just pound through this series, um, we did the math. That would be at least a half a year of one episode. For for just the first season, because there are 52 episodes There's, of this show. It's a full year of It would take me episodes. a while just to binge watch this series, let alone record anything on it. So we're not going to be covering the next episode next week. We're going to have to have a little refresher when we do return to the series. But rest assured, we're going to return to it. Yeah. We're, we're definitely going to come back to it, and this is a series that we will do chronologically. Other other series like Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? We're going to hop around. We're going to do season one, season yeah, two. We're going to do like, from three to seven to, to four. But with this one, we will go from uh, in consecutive order for both our sake and for your sake as listeners. Yeah, there's going to be a bigger mystery and a bigger story that progresses here. So again, the downside is that we'll have to refresh you on the next time and that it's going to be a bit of a wait. But you know what? If you guys want to just pound through, like, watch this series, go for it. And that way you'll get to hear us talking about the next episode already knowing what's coming. Uh, and I think that's it. I, I think that we, we cover things pretty well, especially the relationship stuff, which was first and foremost for me. I just, uh, you know what I could really go for right now? Uh, a smoothie? A, a frozen treat that is neither ice cream nor sherbet nor, nor yogurt. Okay, that's uh, so, but a snack, a food snack, if you will. Yes, but but cold. Okay, you know one that I could eat with a spoon. So, some fruit. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, not. I mean, not uh, not fruit explicitly. Surely some syrup extract with uh, a natural and artificial flavoring. Are there? Hang on. Are there, are there any allotropes in that? 
Is this is you this? You can taste the allotropes. Perhaps a uh, a multicellular mutation. Oh my gosh! I I try. I used to do single single cellular, but I can't go back. Once you have multi, you have to stick with multi. Uh, and that's it. Um, thank you. This has been a. We've had a free radical time discussing this uh, discussing this episode, and we hope that you've enjoyed it as well. Good on you for pulling specifics. I I'm I'm thrilled to have done this. Thank you. Um, for another week of fun. Please enjoy our outro. I'm sure it yeah. will be quite enjoyable. I, I'm going to enjoy our outro. I'm going to listen to it as well right now. Let's all listen. Well, that was another episode of Scooby Dudes. There it was. There it went. It's over. Almost. So now we are going to go through uh, the way that we typically wrap these up. We're going to tell you where you can find out about us and... Also, all of the many people who gave us money. Yes. Oh, I love these people that gave us money, dude. Like, I seriously, I love these people. You love them. I love... I end every episode saying how I love you and without any reciprocation. Uh, but I don't care that these people never tell me that they love me back because they give us money. That's better. Would you say that you love them hard? I love them so hard. But I love them gently as well. I love them softly okay no that's my thing <laughs> well i'm doing both of them now i'm taking a page out of your book and now i'm loving them tenderly come on man what am i supposed to do now i don't love what them. do i have left love them a medium amount love I... them an adequate amount that's my thing that was my thing i'm sorry man now i'm the tender lover but i'm also the aggressive lover oh man what am i like I, the apathetic lover and you're the adequate that's... lover you're average i don't average you're perfectly okay come on man don't you don't you dream that one day a girl will tell you you're an average kisser you're an acceptable uh romancer honestly yeah i'm <laughs> <laughs> seeing as how you've not cleared a higher bar yet yeah that's the next bar yeah that is kind of a dream of mine oh man but I, I'm, we really should thank our donors. These are incredible people who appreciate our work so much that they've given us money to see that we can keep doing this work. Yes, they are donating uh, to us via a platform called Patreon. And mm-hmm. uh, we like to thank them each and every week. We like to say their names uh, on, on air, as it were. I just like feeling their names in my mouth, just kind of rolling it around like a marble. These are, these I, are some dicey intros and outros for this episode, huh? <laughs> like, we're, yeah, we're, we're really, really pushing the line. Yeah, the envelope's over there, but I want to see it over there, so I'm pushing it. Let's, uh, let's thank our patrons. Yeah, here are those names. Thank you yet again for another week's patronage. And if you want to become one of these patrons and get some great original and exclusive content along the way, check us out, patreon.com slash scoobydudes. Yeah, so there's that. Uh, you want to hit us up on Facebook, that's just facebook.com slash scoobydudes. If you like or follow us, uh, I we, we throw some stuff out there every now and again. It's, I don't know. I think it's pretty fun. We keep the content rolling. You can also uh, interact with us via Twitter. Get on the public sphere, Twitter. Dot com. We are the Scooby Dudes at the Scooby Dudes. Uh, and lastly, please, 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 please go to our website, ScoobyDudes.com. Uh, mm. I put show notes there. I, I tend to slap down a YouTube video. Uh, it's always something in reference to uh, what we have referenced in the episode. And I think it's a, it's a fun way of like fleshing out some of our bits and explaining uh, what we don't have time to explain in the episode. Yeah, these are curated internet wormholes. These are best pickings from our episode and just deep cuts of internet memedom that you can check out through our website. Really, ScoobyDudes.com has a lot. It's probably the best place aside from Patreon to get additional Scooby content. You know, 
captioned screenshots, original art, notes on every episode, you gotta go there. And you know what? If you wanna just message us directly, scoobydudespodcast at gmail.com. Feel free to send us an email. Send us an email, scoobydudespodcast at gmail.com. This is the last thing I want to ask of you. If you wanted to leave us a positive review on iTunes, that'd be greatly appreciated. Leave us a review, but make sure it's positive. I mean, give us five stars. I really don't care what you say in that review. So what you're saying is they could give us a five-star review and then tell people not to listen to us. Yeah. Rate us five stars. Roast us in the review. Tell people not to listen to us. I don't care. Feed the algorithm and warn people away. That's a compromise I'm comfortable with. You know what? Me too. All right. Yeah. (laughs) Leave us five stars and then do whatever you want. But uh, an iTunes review would really, really make um, make my week. It would make my whole week, too. D- would it not make your whole week, Evan? I guess I started this... this I inadvertently started this bit, huh? I'm sorry, this is so dirty, but it would, would it make your whole Monday? <laughs> Dude, my whole is so Monday right now. <laughs> Scooby-Doo's, where we ask you to, uh, to cover your holes. Scooby-Doo's, cover your whole week. Um... Really, that's that's it for this whole episode. Beware the beast from below. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Popping manhole covers. Oh, oh yeah, we can't keep any of this. this I mean, oh, boy. Okay, I think that's uh, good for an outro, honestly. Yeah. Uh, thank you guys for joining us. We're going to be back next week. I love you, listeners. I love you, patrons. I love you, Evan. I love Scooby-Doo. I'll take it. <laughs>